Hello and welcome to another episode of Pitch Black, the show that discusses soccer in African-American culture, nationally and around the world. I'm your host, Matthew Wilson, and again, we're going to talk about three different, uh, if not four, interesting topics. Uh, we're going to talk about the Austin East soccer team in the Knoxville area, uh, Charlotte's new MLS team and its demographics, the style of Rock Nation going into Liga One in France, and a couple of new black owners and a little bit of black history uh, shout outs. See you soon. All right, and welcome back. So our first topic, we're going to talk about the Austin East High School soccer team. Now, while this is super near and dear to my heart because I used to be an athletic director, uh, I used to be a high school coach as well, and one of the things that I wanted to do wasn't just the winning aspect, but it was how can I teach local youth something new, you know, how can they excel. Um, one of my first jobs was at a theme park. So having something to do, having something to focus on um, outside of just the regular school day uh, was very important to me. So this is very important uh, to me as well, even as an observer. So in Knoxville, Tennessee, the school, Austin East Magnet High School, pretty much a majority black uh, area, not exclusively, but majority of their uh, demographics there is black. And it was started by essentially two, I guess you would say, teachers or coaches. Um, it was Mr. or Coach Malika Guthrie. Sorry if I got that incorrect. And uh, Coach Netherland. Um, Malika Guthrie or Coach Guthrie, uh, she was the head of the dance team. And one of her, all her dancers had to play soccer too. Uh, and Coach Netherland, as far as the boys head coach, he was the um, a volunteer football player. They both went to the school, um, the high school when they were in high school, I guess you would say. And they wanted to do something different. Obviously, there was a lot of uh, violence in the neighborhood. And co adding that to COVID-19, uh, the pandemic that kind of shut everything down for a while, it really inspired them to do something different, to come out of this uh, with a different aspect um, and they had been building up the team for a couple of years in their first year um, the boys team uh, they won two games uh, seven games the next year then nine years after uh, nine games the year after that and he kept climbing up um, essentially it was a blend of the cultures uh, as they had some players from uh, the West African area that joined and uh, that's what reminded me uh, of my situation. Um, we had players from all around the world, from Belgium, from uh, Morocco, from England, from Germany, uh, from Honduras. And similar uh, to them, they have players from Tanzania, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda, and Iraq. So um, that, that, like I said earlier, caught my attention because seeing these international players interact with what we would consider African-Americans, uh, you, you know, of African descent, but um, have grown up or their parents and themselves and most recent ancestors have grown up in America uh, as opposed to uh, being born uh, in Africa and then moving. But that just kind of set the context for the terms of African-American for this state. I mean, for this uh, for, for this topic. Um, 
So long story short, uh, they went through issues, um, you know, just kind of getting the team together, um, the finances and funding of how to work um, the team since they, you know, from experience, you can have very good players, but without adequate funding, you can still not reach your goals. Uh, it's, it's not impossible to reach them, but it is improbable. Uh, just because you're going up against kids or teams that have kids that each one of them are paying two to five thousand dollars, if not more, to play on uh, travel teams and play for academies. Uh, so they're getting the best coaching. They're getting more touches on the ball. Um, but this didn't affect these kids at this time. They 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 went on to win the state championship in their division, and I, you know it's. I just wanted to give them a shout out because it shows that, like I said, it may be improbable, but it's not impossible. Um, so kudos to them. And I implore you, if you have a soccer team at your school, if you have gone to what you would consider a majority you know, African-American school, a school that is high on basketball and football as the top sports, which, which are great in their own right, um, my challenge to you is, Check on that soccer team. See about, you know, don't let certain sports be exclusive or uh, exclusionary to where one ethnicity feels they can't play it um, because that's not the skin tone of what plays it. Um, a little bit more reflection on myself. Uh, the high school I went to, uh, we only have one state championship, or at least at the time that I went there, we only had one state championship. And our demographics of the high school is pretty much 99.999% African-American. And surprisingly enough, the only state championship we had was in um, girls golf. And to this day, I think that's still the only state championship trophy that we've had. Even after 20 plus years of not being in high school, the only state championship we have is women's golf at a majority black school and this was before or during the emergence of the Tiger Woods era. So this, you know, this this young lady, she was playing and winning um, you know, uh tournaments and whatnot, regardless of the influence. So that that's a testament and I'm sure many other schools have uh, examples like that where if we promote certain sports, if we promote that our black youth, or just youth in general, but obviously for the sake of this uh, podcast, that black youth can play any sport that they put their mind to. They can play volleyball, they can play tennis, they can play golf, They and they can excel in those. They're not pigeonholed to certain sports, and if they're not the best in those sports they're put away, they can play anything. And obviously we see many times top players play multiple sports anyway. It's just usually... Uh, they make a choice by the, their senior year to focus on one because um, you have to pretty much be focused on it in order to excel uh, past the competition that you're going to play against. So, uh, just to you know, just to refresh everything, challenge yourself, challenge your soccer team at your school. If you are a soccer fan, or even if you're not a soccer fan, challenge the black youth and see how can you make a difference. What spark can you make? What uh, upset underdog story can you create to where this is the norm, that your best players, 
your kids are going to excel no matter what they play and whatever they put their mind to. Okay, welcome back fans, and next we're going to talk about the Charlotte MLS team, uh, Charlotte FC from what I can gather, or FC Charlotte, Charlotte FC, let's just call them Charlotte FC, and I'll correct myself later if they, if I need to, um, and as you've known, uh, or if you've listened to previous podcasts, one of the most inspiring teams as far as getting me to watch the MLS um in, in conjunction with uh, Premier League, like league and you know whatnot, but as far as American um, soccer uh, leagues, was the dominance uh, and emergence, quick emergence and dominance of Atlanta uh, United, and how you know they pretty much within I think about two or three years they went from a new team to being uh, MLS champions, and uh, the other. Um, uh, bonus of that was Atlanta is you know considered like the black mecca, <laughs> whether it's a joke or an insult or or, or a compliment, uh, it's considered a black mecca because it is a hotbed of black culture, uh, many historical um, schools, many historical and culturally significant um, uh, things that have happened uh, in black history and U.S. history, which are one and the same um, in in the sense, but. Uh, the it got me in you know involved in checking out you know MLS teams and uh, the cities that they're in. Obviously, I would have loved to have one in New Orleans where I uh, currently live, um, just because I, it's it's something that I think the demographic can really uh, catch on to. And uh, no offense, I think it would be a better attraction than our New Orleans Pelicans, which are uh, consistent bottom dwellers. But uh, just a quick uh, quick blurb and article I want to read uh, as far as the ethnicity breakdown. So, so I'm basically reading some of the reasons, uh, you know, as far as question, this article on Guilted Edge, uh, definitely a favorite site, site you should check it out. Guilted Edge, uh, I'm sorry, GuiltEdgeSoccer.com. Um, so they're trying to figure out the demographics, you know, because that's one of the things you do as a business. You don't just go into a certain place and, you know, if I, if I'm, uh, a butcher or you know or you know I have a deli I'm not gonna open it up in a place that's probably majority vegan it, it, I would probably fail uh, very quickly or you know I'm not gonna open a fishing uh, store you know in Phoenix uh, it's probably not gonna do well just because the demographics or the the resources there don't really match what I'm trying to put out there now as I've mentioned before uh, obviously I feel like soccer is uh, you know uh, an international sport. It's on the level of music and and um, uh, you know mathematics as a universal language. It can transcend all um, differences and ethnicities. Uh, so some of the different demographics that they were looking at, obviously, as far as age breakdown, uh, the millennials. I, I'm on the early age of millennials, but um, Charlotte median age of their uh, citizens 34.2 years of age Atlanta's 33.3 uh, so it's right in there you know 
millennials where we're coming into the age of like the baby boomers we we are the high mass you know uh, of population or a big chunk of the population now obviously voting and um, you know economical power um, but a little bit further down they go into the ethnicity breakdown I'm just gonna read uh read their article real quickly so that way you can kind of see the same mindset that I'm looking at you know that could you know potentially be in your neighborhood too so a contributing factor for the growth of MLS is the job uh, the league and many of its team have teams have done reaching minority communities the arrival of Atlanta United to the league and the steps the franchise has taken to showcase local culture and marketing and in games has helped provide a voice to a new wave of fandom from the black community specifically while Charlotte isn't quite Atlanta demographically the success four hours away may serve as a blueprint to reach a wide swath of ethnic groups in the Carolinas so just their proximity to each other four, uh, four hours away uh, you know could be a huge you know factor Charlotte is roughly 35% black or African-American and among the total population um, roughly 15% of metro area residents are Hispanic coupled the favorable age and demographics with ethnic diversity in the state predisposed to soccer and you can see the potential Charlotte has to offer MLS and uh, so that's one of the main parts of this article that I took from it um, New Orleans for example um, I think the uh, black population is around uh, it's less than 60% but it's still the majority uh, as far as ethnicity uh, uh, ethnic population around probably 55 to 58 percent of the New Orleans um, population is African-American or black and uh, I don't while I don't have the official um, percentages of Hispanic um, in New Orleans uh, as I reported in previous uh, sorry previous podcast that uh, pretty much after Katrina um, uh, it's estimated that the New Orleans metro area, so it's the surrounding cities, including the New Orleans and the Metairie and whatnot, um, uh, Honduran population. This is just Honduran, not even all other uh, uh, Latin American um, or Hispanic uh, uh, ethnicities. Uh, this is just Honduran is about 100,000. 100,000 since uh, 2005. So... I would say that's a pretty huge amount with the metro area. That's probably about 1.2 million people. So that's about 10%, uh, give or take, of the metro area population, which which is very, you know, almost on par with uh, the Hispanic population uh, of Charlotte and the Vietnamese population in, in um, uh, New Orleans compared to population side. We have one of the largest Vietnamese populations in the country. Uh, compared to um, the size of the city um, so those factors and obviously you know having fans of the game is is the primary part but including you know every potential person that is looking for you know folks that may have uh, just migrated from um, you know other countries that are looking for something similar everyone does not catch on to football like talking about it uh, even locals don't always catch on to football. A lot of times people go to our Saints games or, as I mentioned before, our Pelicans uh, basketball games just because uh, it's the tradition. It's what was done because those were the first teams or, you know, obviously the New Orleans Saints 
uh, was here before the Pelicans. But that doesn't exclude, you don't want to exclude people from enjoying a game just because they don't understand it. Um, we do have pretty much a, a, a dry time as far as sports media uh, in our summertime. Uh, we have a, a professional rugby team, which is a good start as well. Um, but having something in the summer, and obviously MLS in the United States is pretty much our you know spring and summer league. It stretches into the fall as well, pretty much the playoffs. But having that, uh, owning that gap and taking control as the primary sport, um, you know, following the the NFL and uh, NBA seasons, um, would be great. It's it's our I've, you know mentioned that it's already uh, reaching more people and uh, as far as their demographics and viewership than Major League Baseball, their viewership is dropping, um, and it's rising to the level of uh, NHL. Pretty much is going to crack into the top three uh, sports as far as viewership uh, within the next five to ten years, especially after the uh, huge, huge World Cup that's coming up in 2026 that's going to be um, primarily hosted by the United States, U.S., and Mexico. So, anyway, back to the demographics of Charlotte FC. Um, you know, building their brand uh, it's going to be a good thing for them. You, you know, you you have your uh, Charlotte Hornets. You have your um, Charlotte, um, uh, I'm sorry, Carolina Panthers. And they're kind of keeping it to the same theme that uh, Pittsburgh does. Pretty much all those teams are going to have that light Carolina blue color. Um, Pittsburgh, they're, the Penguins, the Steelers, uh, the, the Pirates, their major teams all have black and yellow, uh, so it's kind of like a, a cross cross sport camaraderie, and they're doing it. I, I, I really love that. And um, being that they're the Carolina Panthers owner is also going to be, if not the main owner or partial owner, uh, nope, primary owner, especially with a net uh, net worth of fourteen point point five billion dollars, um, is going to cross uh market you know during you know nfl seasons you know just to, to get the percentage of fans of you know the carolina panthers to be fans of um the charlotte fc uh, you go from having a sixty thousand to almost seventy thousand seat stadium uh and you know, if you can fill half that with soccer fans you're still reaching uh you know record levels in the united states soccer uh professional soccer um, attendance so, uh, great job to them. I wish them the best, best of luck. I really hope that Charlotte FC reaches into those uh, low-income communities to have their homegrown players, you know, not just from your top academies. Obviously, you want to have the best talent, but to not overlook that talent that may be in the inner city or not to, you know, overlook schools that may be traditionally or majority African-American, but not really have a soccer program set up. It would be surprising to really develop that soccer program in those neighborhoods, in those schools, and really get the full amount of talent uh, that, you can, uh, that you can grow in your academies. And we can see how well they're doing. We'll see if they're the next Atlanta United or uh, it's just a one-off thing. So congratulations to them and looking forward to see them this uh, season in their inaugural season. 
All right, welcome back for the last segment. It's just going to be kind of a quick fire segment uh, going over some black history uh, shout outs as far as uh, uh, owners, former players, and style and culture. So we're going to start with uh, owners. Uh, give a big shout out to Gabrielle Union. Gabrielle Union, uh, Dwayne Wade's wife. Uh, you know, for all my basketball fans out there, she is one of the uh, co-owners or she's one of the new co-owners of Angel City FC. Yes, that's the same one with a lot of other stars, including uh, such stars as uh, Serena and Venus Williams. I, I would assume uh, Venus is also a part of that, but definitely Serena is uh, one of the co-owners of Angel City FC. It is the woman's... Uh, soccer team out in los angeles a beautiful logo like the name so kudos to her you know putting her money you know into a very good investment and uh just increasing that black ownership into soccer which is growing and growing as you can tell as i've been reporting it uh every other week or every month um also want to talk about the paris saint germain so paris saint germain is a well I won't say a soccer club in Paris. It is the soccer club uh, team that started pretty much in the 70s, and they've been just dominant over the past decade or two. Uh, Currently, they have most people's favorite uh, player, Lionel Messi, uh, Neymar, and one of my favorite up-and-comers, Kylian Mbappe. Uh, So along with this star-studded power, they've uh, been a team that has joined... uh, um, uh, endorsing and marketing with uh, the Jordan brand. We've seen Jordan brand going to places like uh, the Florida Gators, University of Florida, uh, University of Michigan, to where they have the Jordan logo. It's not the Nike logo like we're all used to. It's the Jordan logo just because it's kind of a you know new uh, uh, extension. Uh, if I'm putting that you know succinctly, so uh, Paris Saint Germain is one of those teams. They've kind of, um, they've crossed over into the English. I'm sorry, European leagues, uh, in order to really promote that brand. Uh, so the point of that is they have a kit pretty much every year, if not every two years, a new style on their uniforms. So along with the Jordan brand logo, they have, I guess you would say, design, successfully designed a kit that is reminiscent of the Chicago Bulls kit. Obviously, Jordan, uh, you know, Chicago Bull player for majority, huge majority of his career. And I, I implore you to go look at that, you know, check them out, give me your takes on do you like them? Do you think they should stick to just, you know, uh, other type of designs? Uh, I personally like them. I like the cross-referencing of, uh, you know, playing on the nostalgia of the Chicago Bulls uniform, um, especially as Jordan is a, you know, uh, current um uh, sponsor and investor um, into the team. So give me your looks, uh, give me your takes on that. Uh, do you like the Paris Saint Germain uh, Chicago Bulls kit? And hopefully next year, when all the um, uh, Gilt Edge usually puts out a yearly um, statistic on top selling uniforms, top selling kits, we'll see if that cracks the top eight uh, in about a year from now. And last but not least, just kind of local again, uh, you know, big shout out and look back to Stern John, uh, former uh, former winger for the New Orleans Riverboat, Riverboat Gamblers. Uh, it was in the early parts of the uh, USL, the United Soccer League, um, 
uh, pretty much the second tier level of soccer in the United States. Uh, 16 goals, ended up playing for the Birmingham, um, uh, sorry, playing for Birmingham Club in the EPL. Uh, so it's good to see talent being developed here and playing overseas. So that's all I have for you this week. Look back to talk to you in about two weeks again as a, as usual, bi-weekly uh, podcast. I'm going to do some more research. And if you are listening, please email me at V-E-E-R-A-U-L-T, the description.com, uh, at, at gmail.com. Sorry about that. Uh, it's actually going to be in the link where you can, um, you know, send me questions. What do you want me to talk about? What are some questions you have uh, as far as soccer, how it connects into the black community, and how we can develop it in the United States in general? And as usual, look forward to kicking with you later.